0: Good morning, everyone. So happy to see you, as always. Such a blessing to be here this morning. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us one more time, if that's all right, as we get started. Father God, I just thank you, Lord, for this morning. I thank you for this time with my brothers and sisters. And Lord, more than anything, I thank you that we can come and be one body, one mind, Lord, that we can be in fellowship with each other because of your blood and your spirit, King Jesus. And so I pray as we speak together, Lord, that... um, you would just guide our hearts and our minds to receive your word. I pray that I would be moved out of the way, and Holy Spirit, you'd come and speak everything you need to speak this morning to your congregation. Father, we submit to you that you are the pastor of this church. Um, You are the head, Lord, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, good morning. Um, Today, we're going to be in James chapter 2. Now, we're going to go ahead and read the entire chapter. But if you remember, just a couple of weeks ago, we actually read through the second half um, of the chapter in context to a previous sermon, a previous message. So today, we're only going to be focusing on the first 13 verses. So we'll read through the whole chapter, but then we're really only going to take a look at that first part. So join me, if you will, in James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My brethren... Do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor, um, a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes, and say to him, you sit here in a good place. And say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at my footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble on one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, have you, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be warm and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which says, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Amen. All right, so again, we're going to focus just on these first 13 verses, and here James is writing to us pretty, pretty simply, saying, do not show partiality. And it's interesting, he says that if we do show partiality, you know, if someone comes in dressed in fine clothes and we treat them one way, but someone comes in filthy and dressed in rags and we treat them a different way just on their looks, he says we're actually breaking God's law we're actually breaking God's law. And it's interesting that this exact issue, it's not a new issue, it's not just a, a, a nice, you know, New Testament add-on, it's actually in the law of God in Leviticus 19. So I want to read through um, a portion of Leviticus 19, just a small part, and we're going to look at actually what God's will is for his body in dealing with these issues. So starting in verse 15, God says, you shall do no injustice in judgment. It's going to be our key word today, judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a tailbearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord you shall not hate your brother in your heart you shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people but you shall love your neighbor as yourself i am the lord and so in this chapter of james he's focusing on this passage you know he's very much a well aware i'm sorry of god's law of the old testament much more than we are and Starting back in verse 1, he says, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. With partiality. And so as we hear that word partiality, the word that needs to come to our mind immediately is judgment. Because really these whole 13 verses and this whole section in Leviticus 19 that James is referring to is about the way we judge in our heart. That first line, Leviticus 19.15, there shall be no injustice in your judgment. You know, and I think there's, there's such a confusion and there's such a, um, a misteaching on the issue of judgment. You know, either we believe, some churches, they just, you know, they judge everything and everyone except themselves. Uh, we've seen that for sure, and that is injustice. We, we, talk, we hear from, from other pastors that, oh, we can't judge anyone, which is a complete failure of, of walking in the image of Christ, that he tells us to judge one another in righteousness. It's said in Leviticus, in righteousness we'll judge. That, uh, Paul even says we're going to judge angels on the day to come. That's, a, that's interesting. I don't have a lot to say about that. But, uh, <laughs> but in reality, regardless of what we think about judgment, everyone is practicing it. Rather they're conscious or unconscious of it. The moment someone walks in the room and you look at how they're dressed, right? You notice how they smell, you hear about where they work, you find out they have a criminal record, and immediately judgments begin to form in our heart. Right? Judgments begin to form in our heart. There's a there's a saying that, you know, everyone's a salesman. And if you Everyone's a salesman, whether you like it or not. And if you're, if you're not aware of that, that just means you're a really bad one. Right? And it's so true. And this is kind of the same issue. Everyone, everyone, everyone has a heart. We're made in God's image, and we judge people. And so there's righteous judgment, and there's unrighteous judgment, and it's just that simple. And the only thing is if you're not aware of your judgment if you're not aware of how you're judging people, if you're not aware of God's standard for what judgment looks like, it doesn't mean you're not doing it. It it probably means that you might just be doing it incorrectly um, in different areas. We have to be conscious. We have to be aware of God's will for us. We have to be aware of our own hearts. You know what the Bible says about our heart, anybody? It's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? That's, what, that's our heart left alone outside of the training of the Holy Spirit, outside of the correction of God's word. That's what we're left with. A heart where our own heart, as we're thinking about um, the way we should view things, as our own desires are pulling us, that we're being deceived even by ourselves. And, of course, we touch that. James has already covered that in, in chapter 1. and so he's saying, man, if someone comes in here, and they're dressed in fine clothing, and then someone else comes in filthy rags, what makes one man different from the other? What makes one man different from the other? Who's to say that the man in fine clothes is any more righteous than the man in filthy rags? There's a, there's a statue that was made, I'm, I can't remember what town it is, but this town made a, a rule where homeless people are basically illegal. You're, it's illegal to be homeless in this town, which it's kind of, sort of, illegal to be homeless anywhere, in a, in a sense. But, you know, public benches, um, a lot of times people that are homeless or they're passing through one town, they'll, they'll, they'll sit on a bench and they'll go to sleep, you know, it's really the only place they have. And this city really cracked down, and so if they saw someone on a bench, they would tell him to leave, and if it was a recurring thing, they would take him to jail, which, you know, free breakfast, that probably didn't hurt too many people's feelings. But somebody made a statue of a homeless man sleeping on a bench, covered in a blanket. And it looks, it looks real, and you get up there, and it's a statue of Jesus. It's a statue of Jesus sleeping under a blanket on a bench. And, you know, you think about the ministry of Jesus, and he did a lot of wandering He was out in the dirt, you know, going from place to place. He slept outside many times. There were people that wanted to follow him. They said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And he says, you know, fox have holes and birds have nests. He said, I, the son of man, I don't even have somewhere to lay my head. I guarantee you when he uh, was walking into a town and village and coming and preaching that, you know, he was probably dirty. He probably smelt. A little bit bad. I don't think there was like some Holy Ghost air freshener that just like, you know, covered him at all times. I don't think that's how it went, you know. When he came into a home, his feet needed to be washed physically, you know, just like everyone else's. He was probably a very dirty, sun-tanned man. And I wonder if, if Jesus was to appear here for a month and was just traveling and ministering and sleeping and on couches and in homes, wherever he could, and he walked into our church... I wonder if we would be convicted as transgressors of God's royal law to not judge unrighteously. I wonder if we would pay him any mind or if we would ask him to sit in the back. You know, so God is is telling us what makes these men differ from each other. And so there's this natural, natural, um, I don't know how to say it, there's this inclination for us, that when we see someone, they drive up in the brand new, you know, well-washed car, and they get out with the, with the shiny shoes, you know, and the slacks on and the coat. We, there's almost just this assumption that they're successful, that they're good. Maybe some people would, you know, they're trustworthy. Oh, yeah, come right in, you know, oh, here, sit, sit right here. And God is saying, what are you doing? If a man is righteous and he's in filthy rags, is he any less righteous If a man is unrighteous and wicked in his heart and he's dressed in fine clothing, is he any less unrighteous? Will not God judge both men the same way according to their heart? And that's what God says of of Saul in the Old Testament. He says, hey, you know, you wanted this king and he was tall and he was handsome and he looked right. But God does not judge according to appearance. God does not judge the way man judges, but God judges according to the heart. And so we're being called into account to be aware that we all all have judgment. And honestly, there is many places where judgment, having good judgment, being able to see something and understand where it fits, to understand if it's right or if it's wrong, that's a basic human value. There's nothing wrong with that. That's the character of God even. But to do it rightly Verse 4, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's that's what the Holy Spirit tells us about that. When we judge people based on appearance, when we're not willing to to concern ourselves with their well-being because of the way they look or, or our first impression, that you have made yourself a judge of God's law. He says there's only one, one judge and one law, lawgiver, and it ain't you, and it ain't me. You have made yourself a judge over this man, over this woman, and you have evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme the noble name by which you are called? You know, in Matthew 5, uh, verse 3, the very first beatitude, the very first beatitude, and it's, it's written a little different. Um, is it Luke, where the other beatitudes are in Luke 9? Is that what you said? Okay, I don't, I don't, I don't spend uh, as much time in those ones, but I'm very familiar with Matthew, especially Matthew chapter 5. And the very first beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. And Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And of course, in Luke, it just says, blessed are the poor. But that's what James is referring to. He's saying, look, the poor, aren't, aren't they the ones that Jesus went to? Aren't they the ones the ones that have been ke- uh, kicked out and left behind? The ones that are destitute? The ones that have nothing and cry out to the Lord for help? Aren't they the one that God delivers? Aren't they the one that God gives extra attention to? Aren't they the one that God brings forth and increases in their faith? Aren't they the one who Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven? Then how is it that we would flip the script? Not just that, but you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? And here, you know, even today, even today, if you're a middle class, lower class citizen like myself, um, and someone who, you know, owns a Fortune 500 company, wants to sue you, what are your chances of winning that suit? Even if you're in the right, not very high, right? And unfortunately, many times, the court favors the rich and the esteemed. Now, some of that is favoritism. Some of that is corruptness, maybe in certain cases. Um, Sometimes that's just money, if you have a well-paid lawyer that can just word it all right, that can bring up the right laws, and can, you know, the judge, is he's, he's just one case after another, right? If one person can come up and put it all, look, this is how it is, this is what the law says, and this is what needs to be done, and then you have a guy who can barely, you know, afford the clothes to show up in the courtroom with, his, his chances are pretty low. And you know, at this time, it wasn't any different. It wasn't any different. In fact, even in the Old Testament, God is consistently, he's judging his own people and he's saying, how is it that you are rich and you're fattening yourself on all your delicacies and and being rich and having this? You go and you take the poor into court to steal what they have. What is wrong with you people? What a wicked and stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. I mean, God is not um, shy, about how he feels about that. And so that's a that's a part of life. And do you know who Jesus's number 1 enemy was? The people who opposed him the the most? Was it the poor man on the street or was it the rich man in robes? It was the rich man in robes. Right? And so I don't think James is saying that there's anything necessarily wrong with being rich or that rich or, rich people are somehow wicked in of themselves. However, Again, he's bringing into focus this issue of unrighteous judgment, of partiality that we have shown. But in verse 8, it says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, and of course, going back to Leviticus 19, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you break God's command, if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then he says, kind of gets into this weird section where he says, whoever shall keep the whole law yet stumble on one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. And so there's this weird little section of Scripture because we think, well, hey, you know, we're, we're in the new covenant. We're not bound to God's old law. We're not bound to the system of righteousness to do and to not to do. And so it almost seems a little bit out of place except for the fact that, you know, there's a part of God's law that never, ever changes there's a part of God's law that is not based on covenant. It's based on his character. And righteousness is still righteousness. Injustice is still injustice. To love your neighbor does not change between Old and New Testament because it's who God is, that love that he's pouring out. But something happens. You know, we, we see it more clearly in the New Testament in Paul's writings when he's talking about um, our view of ourselves. That if you somehow think that you're going to be made righteous before God, if you're going to have some special standing before God because of something you can do, because of you're circumcised or not circumcised, oh, I eat this way or I don't do this, and somehow that that's going to bring you close to God, you have fallen from grace, Paul says. Because he says salvation is in Christ alone. It's by his grace, not by your work, so that no man can boast. But it's, if we view our salvation in those terms, it's almost like we're separating ourselves from the perfect work of Jesus. Well, it's the same way when we look at others. If you look at yourself and say, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I've got my flaws, I've got my issues, but yeah, I'm, I'm right in Jesus. But you turn to your neighbor and say, oh, but them. Well, look at their flaws, look at their stumbles, look at their struggles. And there's a judgment that forms in our hearts. We've put ourselves, we put that person back under the law, and now we're going to be judged just as they are. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 7, he doesn't say don't judge, but he says, be careful how you judge. In the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And before you want to take the speck out of your brother's eyes, get that big old log out of yours. You see what I'm saying? Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I think what what James is getting at here is, I wonder if we saw people through the lens of Christ. I wonder if we just prayed and asked God to teach us how to see people. Is when we saw people that didn't measure up to our standard, when we saw people that looked down and out, when we saw people that looked dirty and grungy, I wonder if our first inclination would be to show them mercy, and to have an eagerness to show someone mercy, I wonder if that would change the way we viewed people. I wonder if that would change the way we loved our neighbor. I wonder if we'd be more quick to love them as ourselves. You know, one one last example before we close here. Um, for the last three, four years, I guess, um, we've been pay- taking people into our home. And Some of them we've met through kind of a friend of a friend. Um, Some of them we've just picked up off the street, you know. And some of them have been drug addicts, alcoholics. Some of them have been dirty. Some of them have been stinky. Some of them have had lice, you know. Um, And we've had to work through all of that. And many of them have been more or less in the same situation. And some of them left our house, not on very good terms, because that's just where their heart was. Many of them remained with us. The people that came in, they looked, they smelt, they acted just like the other people, but they came with us and God worked in their heart. And they had a loving heart and they had a pure heart and they were willing to listen, they were willing to grow. And we've seen God just unfold their love, we've seen them get free of addictions, we've seen them get jobs, get married, leave and have their own house. And they all came in looking the same. And if we would have had one bad experience with one of those people who, you know, ran off and treated us bad and and began to judge everyone according to that way, we would have missed such an amazing opportunity to minister to these people. You know, and I don't so much see that we've blessed them as much as I see how God has blessed us with the ability to just obey his commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves. You know? Sorry, I said I was not close. I did have one more verse that I just remember. This is um, Psalm eighteen, and we actually went over Psalm eighteen on Friday. I'm just going to read a short passage, twenty-five and twenty-seven. God says this. Of course, James just said, um, "For judgment shall be without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy, but mercy triumphs over the judge- over judgment." And the last the last point I have here is just that as we tr- as we are towards others. As we are towards others in the name of the Lord, in some sense, we can say he'll be towards us. To those who are open-handed, God is open-handed. To those who are stingy and refuse to give, the Lord refuses blessings that time. And in Psalm 18, David writes, With the merciful, O Lord, you will show yourself merciful. And with a blameless man, you will show yourself blameless. With the pure, you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself, yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but you will bring down haughty looks. So let's pray and let's just rejoice that the Lord um, will continue to humble our hearts. Let's just rejoice that God will bring us into opportunities to serve and to love our neighbors well. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that your word, um, yes, it encourages us. Yes, it strengthens us. Yes, that there is salvation in your name, but also that your word is light and it exposes the hidden places of our heart. I thank you, Lord, that most of the New, the New Testament is your apostles writing to correct issues, and it's the same issues we have today, Lord God. We thank you that you're good to not leave us where we were, but to challenge us each day. Lord, that as we are challenged, Lord, we have an opportunity to grow. But Lord, as we're content, uh, we can easily stray away. So Father, help us. Help us be humble. Help us have the discernment and the wisdom to judge people according to their hearts, their actions, the the way they're they're willing to go, and not just based on looks, not based on uh, mistakes or struggles. But Lord, you will reveal those who are yours and those who are not. So help us have a judgment that's based in love and mercy, Father, and not according to our own standards. Show us your way and your will, Father God. And we thank you knowing that you will empower us this way. In Jesus' mighty name, Amen.